Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we lift up this city to you. We lift up this county to you, Lord. You hold it all. You've got a reason for it all. You have an answer for it all, Lord. And we may not understand, but we are asking, Lord, right now, that you'd speak to us, that you'd comfort hearts, that you'd give hope. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would meet each person here. Lord, those that are listening on the radio or the internet or those just sitting here with us, Lord, we ask that you would, would capture every heart and draw them to you, Lord. Thank you that you hold it all. You've got this. In all things, you are working for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, Lord. In all things, you are working. You're the God we're worshiping now. You're the God we're praying to now. And it's in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Thanks, guys. That was a, a little bit different. You know, this has been in some ways such a difficult, difficult week and in other ways such a beautiful thing. You know, we've had um, pastors and churches all around Reading here helping those that are displaced, those that are in trouble, those that are going through some rough things. Some of the people that are helping and serving don't even know if they have a house standing or not. Isn't that amazing? The church in Reading is coming together, and it's a beautiful thing. I just love that. And I'm so grateful for our church. I'm so grateful that God is working here. And what an honor it is to be able to open our doors for people that are hurting and in trouble and in need. Don't you agree? It's such an honor for us. So if you're here and you're part of this this morning and, and you've been staying here with us, we are deeply honored to be able to serve you during this time. And I want to just acknowledge uh, Chaplain Jim. You know, he's one of our elders. It's because of him that our church is, is certified with the Red Cross. It's because he's proactive. This is his heartbeat. And this is our heartbeat as a church. But I just want to acknowledge that Jim is doing such an exceptional job. And, and pray for him. Because he's been here from early in the morning till late at night, and he's been doing all these things to make this happen. And we just want to acknowledge his efforts, God's working, and I'm so grateful and I'm so proud to be a part of this church in a healthy way, not the, sad, not the sinful way of proud. I'm just, I'm honored to be a part of this church. Now, this week has been a crazy week also because we had VBS here. We had a, a, a sports camp here. 250 kids came here, sat right where you're sitting, and heard the gospel. They played some sports. They played some games. They saw some videos, sang some songs, did some dances. You should have saw me trying to do the dances. I didn't look anything like the people on the video. Um, but dozens of kids gave their life to Jesus this week. Praise God for that. I love that. God's working here. He's working. He's working in Reading. And I just want to acknowledge it was Danielle Taylor that has been the, the go-getter for this VBS. And because of her efforts, we all joined her and we, we tried to support her and team up with her. But if you see Danielle Taylor, just give her a pat on the back, send her a text. It was, she worked tirelessly, hundreds of hours in this to make this happen. And we wanted to acknowledge that as well. All right, are you guys ready to hear from God? Not that you haven't already, but are you ready? Open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. We're dealing with fire right now, so I thought we should talk a story about a fire. Is that all right? It's a story you've all heard before. And if you're a kid and you're listening, 
awesome job. This is a story you've probably heard before, but I believe God has a, a word for us that's very timely, and it's just for today. So are you listening? Are you ready to hear from God? Daniel chapter 3, here we go. Now, I'm going to just preface the story with this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three people that were taken from their homes by enemy soldiers and taken to Babylon. All right, and they were there in exile. They were slaves of war, prisoners of war, but they were exceptional young men. And so the king exalted them, gave them authority, and the king put them in a place where they actually had some responsibilities and some authority in the nation. The king, the story starts out in chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, who's literally the king of the world, he builds an image of gold, a big, huge statue. And he commands that all the people around, as soon as they hear the music, they have to bow down and they have to worship that image of gold. And if you, you know anything about the pretext in Daniel 2, he had had a dream about a, a big statue. It's kind of a cool thing. That's for another time, though. Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue of gold. And he commands that at the sound of the music, everybody, whatever their rank, has to bow down and worship this golden image. And there's three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know the story, right? So the trumpets play, the lutes, the, all these different instruments, they play. And everybody bows down except for, say it with me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not Abednego, it's Abednego. Okay, get it right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down. People come to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, uh, O king, these three Hebrews, they have refused to bow down. And the king is in a rage of fury. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they were brought before the king. And in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, he gives him another chance. If you're ready, we're going to do this again. And this time you bow down. And if you don't, I'm throwing you in a fire. I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace. It says, if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast in the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Here's Nebuchadnezzar, and he's never met a God he couldn't conquer. He's never met a people group that he couldn't conquer. And by doing so, he is saying to himself, I'm a God who's stronger than their God. Do you understand? That's, he actually saw himself as a God. And if he conquered this people group, he was stronger than their God. And so he thought he was bigger and stronger. Who is the God that can rescue you out of my hands? No one. Verse 16, I love this, you guys. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they respond to the king. They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We have no need to answer you. A, a, a better translation might say, we're not even careful to answer you in this. We don't even need to take time and think about this, is what they were saying. We don't need to be careful when we answer you. If it's so, if you do this, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. I love that. Are you listening to this? He said, our God is strong enough. He could do it. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your gods or your image. We're still not going to obey you, king. Could you imagine this? If you, if you displease the king in that day and age, your head is going to roll. If you, that's, he's got one solution to pretty much every problem, and that is I'm going to kill whoever displeases me. And so here, to this guy... They say, we don't even need to take a moment and think this through, King Nebuchadnezzar. We are not going to obey. We are not going to bow down. Flip the page to the, well, you don't have to flip the page. If you have my Bible, you flip the page. Verse 19. I love this. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than was normally heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the fire overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So even the guards were killed as they threw these men in. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound right into the middle of the burning, fiery furnace. It doesn't say the middle. I added that. They fell into the burning, fiery furnace. Are you seeing this? Are you imagining this scene? They're bound and thrown into the fire. Now here's what happens next. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. That means he just, he jumped up, and he declared to his counselors, did we not throw three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth looks like a son of the gods, or a son of God, is what another translation says. So here's the story. Here's the first thing I want to take away from this story. All right? First thing. Number one, this is all happening in a context of God's judgment on the nation of Israel. This is happening in a context where God had not come through for these men and their families. Do you understand that? God did not save their city. God did not save their homes. They were taken from their situation. They were taken from their families. And they were living as prisoners of war in another city, in another nation, under oppression. And they lived in a context right here where God had not come through for them. 
God hadn't heard their prayers for redemption and, and, and rescue. Their families may have been killed. Their houses, their cities, it, it was decimated. And their hearts were broken as they were taken as prisoners of war to Babylon. Even still, they were faithful. This happens in the context where God had not come through yet. Do you understand? After hundreds of years of turning from God and worshiping other gods, the nation of Israel had been prophesied to. They had been warned for centuries. In fact, the passage I had read in Isaiah 43, this was maybe a hundred years before this took place. That as Isaiah wrote these words and he prophesied these things. And he said, God is going to, going to lead you through this time of exile, this time of judgment. But when you walk through the waters, I will be there. When you face the fire, it will not burn you. This was a prophecy from about a hundred years, give or take, before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the fire. Here's the situation. The context was one of fear and one of not knowing. Very few people were faithful to the Lord. And here's these three young men that said, God, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to honor you. You might be here this morning and the context that you're here and you're listening right now is the context of one where God hasn't come through. And you're wondering where he is. Why isn't he hearing your prayers? If you're like me, I've been praying for rain for now four days. Why, why hasn't he come through yet? And, and so if that's you, listen. Follow this example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In a context where God hadn't come through, this is their faithfulness. The second thing I want to point your attention to is this verse. I love this verse. Verse 18, another translation says, even if God doesn't. We, verse 17 says, I know God is able. I know he's able to save us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to obey. We're still not going to bow down. Is that you and me? Can we say something like that? Here we are, we're in a situation as a city I know God is able to put out the fire right now. By the time I finish this sentence, it could be over. But even if he doesn't, yet will I serve him. Like Job said, even though he slay me, I will trust him. Can we say that? You see, if that's our heart, that's where it needs to be. That even if God allows our, uh, us to lose our house or to lose our home, even so, I will serve him all the more. When I was in India, I, I had a dear friend, and he's still one of my close friends, and I talk to him every week, and his name is Manoj. Years ago, when we had first met and we were first becoming good friends, we were starting to serve Jesus, sharing Jesus with, with the Muslims around us. And Manoj and I had become really good friends, and his wife was pregnant and we were super excited. His wife gave birth and, and this beautiful little daughter. And I remember celebrating with him. And then two nights later, I got a phone call from Manoj. And here was a man who'd only been a follower of Jesus for a couple of years. He's a young man, 23, something like that. 
And he called me and I could just hear on his voice the pain that his baby had died in the night. And our hearts just broke. I just fell to my knees and I said, God, how, how could this have happened? You see, one of the things that happens in India in a lot of the villages is it's shameful for a family to give birth to a daughter. Did you know that? And so in a lot of these villages, a family member may or may not kill that baby girl days after they're born. And I'm not saying this is what happened, but I knew this was in Manoj's mind. Brokenhearted over this. It may have been some relative, or it may have been Sid's, or it may have been some other unexplained reason, but all he knew was his baby girl was dead the third day that she had been, after she had been born. He was broken. And I remember meeting with him. I remember praying with him and crying with him. And I remember the words that he said. This is a day or two after his daughter had died. And he said, my family, they're turning back to Hinduism. But for me, I'm going to just serve Jesus all the more. For as long as I've got left, I'm going to just serve him. This has just made it so much more worth it. I just want to give more to Jesus now. I just want to do more for God. To me, that's a beautiful picture of that heart of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That even if God doesn't come through, even if he doesn't do what I know he's capable of doing, I'm still going to follow him. I'm still going to serve him. And it's been four years later. And he's faithfully been serving the Lord these last four years. Muslims are coming to Jesus and they're also making other disciples there in Bihar, India. And it's so exciting. And you know what's amazing? Is about a year and a half ago, God blessed him and his wife with another child. And God is working. But the question I want to ask you is, 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 it, is that your heart? That even if he doesn't come through, even still, I will worship him. I will refuse to give in to the pressures of the society around me. Even then, I will honor and obey God. Is that your heart this morning? What's amazing about this story, about this passage, is they were not alone in the fire, were they? That's the last thing I wanted to bring up. They throw them into the fiery furnace. It's very, very hot. And what happens is Nebuchadnezzar jumps out of his seat. The king of the world jumps out of his seat and he says, wait a minute, what's going on here? We threw three guys into this fire. So what's going on? Why is there now four? Why is there now four? And the fourth one looks like the son of a god. And that's a term that they would use to describe angels or angelic or heavenly beings. Here's what I think. Going back to Isaiah 43, where God command, he prophesies to his nation and he says, When you walk through the waters, I will be there. When you go through the fire, you'll not be burned. Here's these men 
and they're the actual physical manifestation of that prophecy from roughly 100 years before. Here they are living that. And what's interesting to me is God could have put out the fire, right? He could have done a lot of different things, couldn't he have? He could have changed Nebuchadnezzar's mind and, and, and made it so that Nebuchadnezzar didn't order them cast into the fire. Or God could have just simply said, you know, the fire is going to just go out. I'm going to just put the fire out immediately. God didn't do that either. Instead, he joined them in the fire. He joined them in the fire. And it might be that you're here this morning and, I mean, it might be the literal fire that we're talking about. Or it might be a figurative fire where you've been through difficult things. You've been through frustrations. You've been through pain and suffering. But is he with you? We read, we read Psalm 91 earlier. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. I love this passage. He who dwells under the shelter of the Most High. It's the idea of you're as close to God as you want to be. You're as protected by God as you want to be. He's here, and if you just go close to him, he who dwells in the shadow, in the shelter, who's close to God, he who is close to God gets all of the protections that are described in Psalm 91. He who's close to God, he will deliver you from every trap, from every snare, from every difficulty. He who is close to God. And I love this. He, he says in verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. What does that mean? It means you stay close to God day and night. He's in your thoughts. He's on your mind. You're obeying him. You're honoring him. You're living for him. I love that word. If. If you make the Lord your dwelling place. If. Now, if is a very scary word, you guys. I'm going to land the plane here in a second, okay? If means that you and I have a choice. If means it's conditional. If we are close to God, we have his protection, his blessings, and he's with us. But did you know that we can choose to be apart from God? Did you know that? Did you know that we actually have something that separates us from God? The Bible calls it sin. And the Bible also says that every single one of us has sinned. And you might be sitting here this morning or listening this morning and you think, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm, I'm not so bad. And really, honestly, compared to other humans, you probably are a pretty decent person. You're not looting right now. You're not running into, you know, buildings that are open and stealing. You're, you know, maybe you're a pretty good person compared to the other humans. But the problem is, the standard for good is God. The standard for good is holiness. Holiness. Is there anyone among us who can say, yes, I am holy? And the answer is no. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. There's not one of us here who can say that we're not sinners. We sin by nature. We're born into it. I never had to teach my kids to disobey. I never pulled my kids aside and said, okay, I'm going to teach you guys how to tell a lie. All right? Now, today's lesson is about anger. I'm going to show you how to lose your temper. 
all right? I never had to do that. We, we're wired that way because we're born into sin. We all are. And, and God knew this. And sin, the function of sin is to separate us. It separates us from God and it separates us from each other. And so here's God. And the penalty for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you understand what that means? It means we earn something with our sin. We earn separation from God. The Bible calls that hell. We earn that with our sin. And that's what sin does is it separates us from God and each other. And the penalty for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When in Psalm 91 he says, if you make God your dwelling place. What he's saying is if you are right with God. If you are close to God, he will be with you in the fire. He will protect you. He will sustain you. He will provide for you. Now the problem is we want the best of both worlds, don't we? I want a God who's my savior, but I don't want a God who's my judge. Really, we, we are like that as humans. I want a God who agrees with me. I want a God who will save me and provide for me and take care of me, but I don't want a God who can contradict me. Really, that's kind of just how we are as humans. I want God, a God who agrees with me and a God who I can understand. But if it's a God I can't understand or don't agree with, then I'm, not just, I'm just not going to listen. We want the best of both worlds. But the bottom line is God is the God of the universe. And the truth is, we have a choice to make to worship him and honor him and put him in his place in our lives. Or we cannot. But there is an if in the Bible. You see, the benefits of God only come to those who are close to God. You can only be close to God if your sin is taken care of. Sin builds up in our life like debris. It accumulates. It separates. And so God made a way for us. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus came as one of us. He was born free from sin. Lived a sinless life. And our sin was put upon him. He was God in human form. And when he died on the cross, when the nails were nailed through his hands on the cross, our sins were nailed to the cross. For those who believe. For those who put God in the rightful place in their lives. This is available to you. The price has been paid. The question is, what will you do with this if you make God your dwelling place, if you are close to God? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved in a miraculous way. Why? Because they were close to God. Even Nebuchadnezzar saw God is with them. Do you understand? Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, you and I can have life. You and I can have closeness to God, access to God. I love that we have the kids in the service this morning. I know they're making some noise and rifling around with papers and things, and that's fine. We, 
I, I love hearing that. It's okay, right? Kids can be kids. But they have access to their parents. I can't go sit on, on these dads' laps. That'd be weird, right? But they can. Because it's their little girl. It's their son. You know? It's amazing the access a child has to their father or their mother. It's the same through Christ. To those who believe on the name of Jesus, the Bible says, to them he gives the power to become sons and daughters of God. To those who believe on his name. So I want to ask you guys, as the worship team comes up, I want to ask you to reflect on this idea of how close to God are you? Is there sin in your life? Is there things in your life? And it could be that you've given your life to Jesus, but it's been a long time. And since then, there's been this accumulation of debris, of this sin, and it's been a long time since you felt close to God. See, God is close to those who are pure. God is close to those who are holy. God is with those who are faithful to him. But it's all done through the person and work of Jesus. It's not you, it's not me, it's not my works, it's not your works, it's what Jesus has done. But we have to turn from our sin and turn to God. Do you understand? That means we confess. We say, God, I know I've sinned, I know I've done this, and, and I'm sorry, Lord, I want to turn from that. And Lord, I want to give my life to you. And it could be that you've already done that before, but God is calling you again today to come back. I love that these men were not alone in the fire. And that's you and me today. You and I, we do not have to be alone in the fire if we make him our dwelling place, if we are close to him. I just want to end with a simple example. I remember when our family moved to India, that was a crazy thing, to buy a one-way ticket to a third world country. It's really, I can't describe it, it's, it's insane to think there's a one-way ticket here. We're not coming back. And we were over there, and it was, it was just one of those things. And, and about day two, I realized we're here in India, and there's no 911. It's something I hadn't considered until we were there about a day, and I realized if there's an emergency, what am I going to do? Do you realize... We have such a luxury as Americans that right now as we speak, right now as we're sitting here, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of highly trained, highly passionate people, men and women who are here protecting our, our lives and our property and they're working tirelessly on our behalf. Do you realize what a privilege that is? Other countries don't have that, but we have that. And we, I am so grateful for our men and women in our law enforcement and our, our firefighters and the National Guard is here. Red Cross people are here. Salvation Army people are here. There's countless organizations that are here. The world doesn't really have that. And I remember going through all these different trials. We had earthquakes, we had storms, and we had all of these different things. And I didn't have 911. 
And it was always on my mind. And I was always scared and concerned. We didn't have 911. And so when our kids were sick or when there was a problem or, or something bad was happening, I felt like we didn't have anybody that had our back. But I also felt that God was with us. One time the airport closed down and we had no way of getting, getting home back to the States. Somehow God moved heaven and earth. Somehow God raised up somebody who actually broke rules and laws to get us to a different airport to get us home. It was just one of those things. God would come through in every way. And then we transitioned back here to Reading. And I remember our daughter got type 1 diabetes and we were there in the hospital and we were overwhelmed, broken hearted. But even then, God was with us and he's walked with us and he showed up in amazing ways. Our church is going through fire. Our city is going through the fire. But God is here. He's close to those who are broken hearted, who have a contrite spirit. He will not despise. The question is, is are you right with God this morning? I want to challenge you guys to be close to the Lord, to make him your dwelling place. That means through reading the Bible. That means through prayer. That means through being with the people of God. That's what we're talking about this morning.